to be back with you. Thank you for your texts and prayers as during our quarantine. Hopefully it won't happen again. My wife doesn't like having me home that much. Hebrews 10. This morning we'll be talking about continuing our series, as Dr. David said, on on making disciples, being disciple, making disciples, on uh, thinking through this idea of how, if, if discipleship is basically following and obeying Jesus and helping others to follow Jesus, is how do we do this, where do we do this, thinking through all those different things. So uh, I want to encourage you if, you, if this is your first sermon uh, in the discipleship series, to go back and listen to the other ones that uh, were previously said. We're, we have one more coming next week. And then we'll be back in the book of Daniel. Uh, but this is all uh, for the purpose of understanding what our, uh, what our mission statement here is at Cross Point Baptist Church. And Cross Point Baptist Church exists to make what? Disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. So if this is our mission statement, then we need to understand what it means and what God has called us to do. And so this morning, I, I want us to think about a different aspect of discipleship. And it's about the context of discipleship. And the whole point of this morning's sermon, what we're going to get from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 is this, is that the local church is the context for discipleship, for our discipleship. I don't know if any of you are botanists or, you know, enjoy flowers or anything like that, or, uh, but there's this Gibraltar campion, and I'll show, show you a picture of it, beautiful flower, uh, but the Gibraltar campion is um, endemic, that's the word for it. I, I wanted to say that because it sounded really smart, and like I knew a lot about botany and stuff like that. It's endemic. <laughs> it's endemic or it's native to Gibraltar. <laughs> it's in the name, right? So it's native to Gibraltar, meaning it's only found there. It only grows there, right? And it only grows there one uh, in, it, during one time of the year. And uh, it seems like Gibraltar, uh, you know, basically it has the perfect climate and soil for this flower to thrive and survive. And so a- as we think about that, just as soil and climate and environment are important for a flower survival, just like the Gibraltar campion can't survive anywhere else, is that the setting of our discipleship, how we grow and flourish and thrive in following Jesus, the setting for our discipleship is vital. It's essential for our growth and ability to follow Jesus. It's essential. And the divinely designed context for our discipleship is the local church. It is the local church. The local church is the soil, if you want to think about it in flower terms, the local church is the soil for our discipleship, for making disciples and being discipled. It's the soil. It is within the local church and the gathering of God's people where we find nutrients and strength to thrive and flourish in this world as Jesus' disciples. The context is vitally important. Context is vitally important. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid many, many of us see the local church and its gathering as dispensable, as that it can be easily discarded when it comes to following Jesus. Love Jesus, don't really need the church. Don't really need the local church. Is that it's dispensable. Take it or leave it, right? Well, unfortunately, I don't think that's the view of the Bible. I don't think that's the view of the Bible. I I believe the reason that we've come to this kind of understanding of, I don't really need to gather with God's people. I don't really need the church uh, for for following Jesus. I'm afraid we... We've gotten to that place to think those things is because we don't really understand what we have together. We don't really understand what we have together. We don't really understand what we do together. And we don't really understand what happens when we gather together. What is going on? Why do we do it? And so hopefully this morning we can see the importance of these three different things. Okay, what do we have together as God's people? What do we do together as God's people? And when we gather, gather together, what, what's important about that? And hopefully, by seeing these three things, you'll see the beauty and the value of the local church. And you will see that it is indispensable to your personal Christian growth and discipleship. It is indispensable. 
Just like the climate and soil for the Gibraltar campion is only in Gibraltar, it can only thrive there, that the only way that you are going to thrive as a disciple of Jesus Christ is that if you are connected and engaged in a local church. Let's look at this, point number one. Point number is this. What we have together. What we have together. And what we have together is this. We have confidence to approach God through Jesus. Because of Jesus. Let me ask you this. Uh, do you ever under, ever underestimate the value of something that you already have? you ever underestimate that? I was reading a story about a Michigan man who uh, was using this 22-pound rock as a doorstep to get into his home. He used it for over 30 years. And one day, he just said, man, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this thing examined. So he gets it examined, comes to find out it's a rare meteorite worth over $100,000. It was a doorstep for 30-plus years, and he was stepping on $100,000 for 30 years, and he did not know it, had no clue, right? Did not, he, he thought it was, oh, this is just a, just a rock, right? Seemingly insignificant object, no big deal, right? He didn't know that he was stepping on $100,000 every time he got into his home, it, it was not treated as if it was worth $100,000. And sometimes we underestimate the value of the things that we already possess. And this is what the book of Hebrews, and particularly the author of Hebrews in verses 10, or chapter 10, 19 through 25, is trying to draw our attention to. He's trying to draw our attention to, as God's people, do you realize what you possess together? What you have together? This is what he's wanting to try to get out of. And so look at a couple of things here. Look at what we possess in Christ. And he first wants to say, okay, you got to understand, it's not just you individually. It's we together. The communal language in just these verses is overwhelming. Just let's look at this. Look at all the communal kind of plural language. Therefore, brothers. Okay, we're talking about plurality here. Since we, right? Us, we are together one another. Look at all this communal language going on here. There's so many first-person plurals. We, us, are. We, us, are. We, us, are. So he's not speaking to an individual. He's speaking to a group of people, and he's trying to remind them, look what you together, group together, have together. It's important that we see this, that the audience of this text is we. It's not an individual it's not a sole person, but it's everybody. Is that everything going on in verses 19, 20, 19 through 25 is in the context of a community of people. And that, that we're going to see that everything that's going on here that we're to do together, that we're to be together, this is a community project that we're talking about, particularly discipleship. And so what do we have together? So if, if this is we, us, are, we, us, are, what do we have together? And the first thing is this. Look at verse 19. We have what? Confidence. We have confidence. So we have a shared confidence together. A confidence to do what? We have confidence to enter the holy places. That is such an outrageous statement to Jewish ears. Is it not? It's because the author of Hebrews is using all this temple language. Most holy place, veil, curtain, sacrifices, things like that. And he's saying, you can go past the veil into the most holy places. You have that privilege. You have that opportunity to do that. That would have been just, just not possible. How can you say this? And this is what, this is what he's saying, is that, you have this in Christ Jesus. You can have confidence, boldness to enter into God's presence because of what Jesus Christ has done. You together, you share that possession, the opportunity to enter into God's presence through Christ Jesus. That's what you have. We did not have that all the time. Because of our sin, we could not enter in. It's one of my favorite lines of a kid's book. Because of our sin, we could not enter in. It was off limits to us, God's presence. Because God is so holy, it is incredibly dangerous for a sinful human being to even walk near 
his presence. That's why, there was, that's why there was so much structure to the temple and to the tabernacle, to keep people from endangering their lives. But what, what the author says is that if you are in Christ Jesus, look what you have together. You now can all together boldly, confidently approach God through Christ Jesus. What seemed impossible is now possible. Is that now we don't have to enter God's presence with, uh, with fear or terror or dread. But we can do so boldly because of Christ. Because he has already gone before us as the forerunner. What the book of Hebrews says. We can have this. This is what we have together. Confidence to enter God's presence through Christ. Hebrews 4.16 says this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Again, let us together right so this is what we have we have a shared confidence that we can enter into god's presence through christ jesus this is what we all obtain and have in christ jesus body cross point if you are in christ jesus then everyone sitting in here if you are in christ jesus then the person sitting next to you has has the ability to enter into god's presence through christ jesus just like you do that is what we share together but that's not the only thing that we share together this this boldness to enter God's presence. We also have a great high priest who rules over us. That's what he goes on to say. Verse 21. We have a what? A great priest over the house of God. The gifts just keep on giving, right? This is what God's telling us. It's not only do you have access to God's presence, but you have a great high priest who rules over you now. Rules over the house of God. Is that... It's not just that we have confidence to enter God's presence because of what Christ has done, that he's, he's given himself and sacrificed himself, but it's because of who Christ is. He is a great high priest. He's better than any other high priest that has come before him. That's what Hebrews 7, chapter 7, verses, or chapter 7, chapters 10 are talking about. He's a better high priest, a better high priest, and now he rules over us, the house of God, as Hebrews 3, 6 says. We are the house of God. And he does so faithfully. He rules over us faithfully. We have a great high priest together. This again is another thing that you share in common with the person who is in Christ in here. Is not only do you each get to approach God's son of grace through Christ Jesus, but you each right now have a great high priest who rules over you and he rules over you well. That's what we have together. We share these things together. We share these things together. A great high priest and confidence. And so here's the reason, to get back to our main point of this whole sermon, here's the reason why the local church, the body of believers, is the primary and ideal context for discipleship. It's this, is that this group of people, this group of people, us, we share the strongest bonds together with our common possession. We share the strongest bonds together. Is that the reason that the local church is the primary and ideal place for discipleship is together cross point. Those in Christ Jesus, we have the strongest bonds. Yeah, we might be divided politically. We may be divided economically. We may look different. We may be on different planes on any other thing. But guess what we do have? We have a great high priest together, and we have both confidence to enter God's presence through Jesus Christ. And who cares about all those other differences? Who cares? This is what we have together. We have a great high priest, and we can have confidence to enter into God's presence through Jesus. And so here's a couple of pieces of application for us to kind of work out. Is that this text is not going to allow us to think individualistically. It's not going to let us think that way. We are going to have to think group, communal. As we see this, we, us, ours. And so this is going to break up any idea of us thinking the Christian faith is me against the world. That's what the Christian faith is, me against the world. It's not. It is not. That's what Hebrews 10, 19 to 25 is saying. It's we and us. It's not I and me. When God saves us through Christ Jesus and gives us his spirit, he is He's not saving us to be silos or islands. He's actually saving us and bringing us into a people what he's been doing since Abraham and so when when we come to know 
the good news of Jesus Christ. God saves us into a people. He brings us in and includes us in a people. People. And so your spiritual growth and discipleship are a community project. It cannot be done without other people. It can't. And so I know some of you, maybe growing up in school, had problems with group projects. Anybody in here? I was kind of the kid that always wanted to work alone. I didn't want to trust other people in my group. Like, if I was going to get an F, I was going to get F because I did it wrong. I wasn't going to get an F because Benny over here overslept, you know? No. I, I'm, I want the responsibility. I'm going to take all, <laughs> and proper West, if I took all the responsibility, then I took all the credit too. Uh, so that's why I didn't like group projects. I want all the fame. Another shame. And so what this text is not going to let us do is to think that this is an individual assignment. Discipleship is not just an individual assignment. Yes, there's personal responsibility on your part, but Christian growth and discipleship, following Jesus and obeying him, is a community project where you need the local church. It's not a I and me. It's a we and us. And another thing I want us to think about is that in this text, we realize what we have in Jesus Christ together. And I think too often, we always are considering what we don't have. It's always easier to focus on what you do have, what you don't have, right? I mean, even in families, even, oh, we don't have a, this type of car. Oh, we don't have this nice a home. Oh, we don't have this big a paycheck. Oh, we don't have this. We don't have that. It's really hard to focus on, look what we do have. And I think the same thing is, is in, happens in the local church. Oh, we don't have 500 people coming on Sunday mornings and busting down the doors. Oh, we don't have, you know, smoke machines and lights flashing off everywhere. And, 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 and we, we don't have a billion baptisms happening every year. And oh, man, we don't have, you know, the nicest campus. And oh, we don't have this activity. And oh, we don't have this program. And oh, we don't have this. We, we have a stinky associate pastor. Oh, we don't have the, you know. You know, we always, we always focus on what we don't have. And what this text is getting us back to is this. Who cares? All that stuff is trivial. Focus on what you do have. And that is Christ Jesus, your great high priest, who has given you access to God's presence. So when somebody says, man, we ain't got the nicest campus. Oh, man, y'all ain't got the best music. Y'all ain't, say this. We do have a great high priest who has given us access to God's presence. And that's all we need here at Crosspoint Baptist Church. That's all we need. That's all we need. And so what we learn is this. Let us focus on what we do have in Christ Jesus. And what is so great in this text that should give us all reassurance, should give us all hope, should give us all confidence is this. Is that if you come to God through Christ Jesus by faith and repentance, you have no fear of being rejected or barred from him. That's why the author puts the word confident in here, boldly. When you go to God through Jesus Christ, you don't have to have any fear of being rejected, being turned away, being snubbed. Is that in Christ Jesus, he has made a way for you to go to God. And you can confidently go to him without fear. Isn't that so sweet and reassuring? We fear rejection. We fear dismissal. We fear those things in our world. But with God, if you come through Christ Jesus, you don't have to have any fear of those things because we have a great high priest who has already made it possible and made a way for us. And so what we have together is very important at Crosspoint as a local church, as a body of believers. But what we have together should provoke what we do together corporately. What we have together should provoke and stimulate what we do together. And that's point number two. What we do together what we do together. And here's what we do together. God's people draw near to Him. Hold fast to their faith. And stir one another towards holiness. I don't know if many of you go to class reunions or see your old high school buddies. Um, I, a couple weeks ago when I was in Lake Charles, I just happened to come across... Um, the quarterback of our football team that I played with, and we just, we sat there and reminisced. It was so much fun. Uh, reminisced and talked about just, you know, stuff and how terrible we were and things like that. We didn't really get into that, but uh, we just knew. And 
And uh, it was so sweet. You, so, so when you get in those conversations with, you know, old high school friends or people, people from, a, you know, uh, another workplace, you know, you always hear that line. You remember that time? We always say that, right? You remember that time? You remember when you blah, 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 blah? I'm not going to tell you anything I did because that would lose my respect. But, but it's always fun when you meet those old high school buddies. You reminisce and you laugh and you just, man, you have a good time. That, that, that just causes you to do something, right? What, and what that is is that you have a shared common experience with that person, right, that you draw from. Oh, you remember that time? That's a shared common experience. And when you share, have a shared common experience, what it does, it provokes in you laughter and reminiscing and hugging and maybe even crying, things like that. It, there's a reaction to a shared common experience. And what the author of Hebrews is wanting to get is that you have something shared, a shared possession, believer. You have a shared possession. That's Christ Jesus, your great high priest confidence to enter into the holy places and because you have that shared because you 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 kind of are united around those two things it should then produce in you a reaction and he says here here should be your kind of common initiative now that you have this shared possession and he says in three ways let us do this let us do this let us do this says let us three times first one is this verse 22 let us what draw near. Let us draw near. Is that because we have received the benefits of Christ Jesus, the new covenant benefits, what he talks about is that he talks about us being sprinkled clean and washed. It's language from Ezekiel 36. Jeremiah 31 is where God puts a new heart in us and a new spirit and we are actually able to obey God and keep his commands. He says, now that that has happened to you, now that you have been given the new covenant promises through Jesus Christ, now draw near to God. Draw near to God. Because that has been made available to you. Draw near to Him. That you've been cleansed of your idols, and you've been cleansed of your sin. And because of this, our Christian life is about constantly, consistently drawing near to God. Our story of experiencing God through Christ Jesus isn't a just a, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of event, an isolated event that goes on at a conversion. Well, yeah, yeah, I drew near to God when I came, came to God through Jesus Christ. I believed in Him. No, that, that's, not, that's not what he's saying. That's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. The, the, he's saying, let us together, individually, corporately, draw near to God consistently and constantly. It is a theme. It is a hallmark of the Christian life. Are you drawing near to God constantly, consistently? Are you moving towards Him? Is it an ongoing expression of your Christian faith? Because that's what it is. It's not just a one-time isolated event. Drawing near to God is an ongoing expression that you are in Christ Jesus. Are you drawing near to God? James 4.8 says, many of you may know this, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Draw near to God, He will draw near to you. One author says it really well. It says, Such regular and continuous drawing near through prayer, through worship, is vital because life in God's presence is the essence, the mean, and the end of our Christian existence as the people of God. Their present continuous drawing near is the means of perseverance until they enter His presence finally and forever. And so drawing near isn't just a one-time event. It's us every day waking up saying, how am I going to draw near to God today? So together, corporately, what we do? We draw near to God. Individually and corporately, we draw near to God. When we come here, we are drawing near to God. Second thing that He tells us to do is this. Corporately together, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast. So in the midst of persecution and trial and tribulation, which is what the audience of Hebrews is going through, that the author of Hebrews says, do not give in. Do not throw in the towel. Hold fast the confession. The confession being the truths of the gospel that you believe in. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't throw in the towel on these things when life gets hard, when persecution surrounds you. Don't give in. Hold fast. Grip tightly. I don't know if many of you ride, uh, anybody ride roller coasters? 
Any of you, those kind of white-knuckled roller coaster riders where you're, you're just holding the harness as tight as you can? Uh, my, my mother-in-law, I hope she doesn't watch this, but, um, but she, is known for those, she is known for grabbing people as tight as can and leaving fingernail prints in their arms during roller coaster rides, even biting people. <coughs> you can ask Myra. And so just white-knuckle gripping gripping stuff going to hold on she's not letting go i mean it, it it if the if if the roller coaster gets destroyed the harness is coming with her like it's like it's still in her her hands and so that's the <laughs> i know i'm strange but that is the picture that i get when i hear these words hold fast hold fast the confession white knuckle grip it hold on it to it with your lives And that when trials and persecutions come, don't give in. Don't throw in the towel. Hold tightly. Because here's the reason why. Here's the reason why to hold tightly. It's because the one one in whom we believe is faithful. The one in whom we believe is faithful and will never waver. Our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This is the reason that you can hold fast, congregation. This is the reason that you don't have to throw in the towel. It's because Jesus will keep his promises to us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. So together, cross point, let us draw near to God. Together. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Together. And last, what he says, let us consider. Let us consider, verse 24 how to stir up one another to love and good works. I don't know if uh, many of you may know what a spur is. When I, when I, when I hear this word stir, this is kind of the, 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 the symbol wanting to be used here. Spurs, you know, that you use spurs to get a, to get a, um, a horse to go. Uh, I mean, Dr. David, you know what a cattle prod is? You know, a cattle prod, you know, you use a cattle prod to, to get a, Get the cattle to go where you want them to, to, to provoke them, right? And this is the idea that the author of Hebrews is wanting to get with us, is that our responsibility as a congregation, as people of God, is to provoke others, other believers, towards holiness. Now, not in a painful way. That's a pretty bad uh, illustration. We don't want like, to twist people's arms to get them to be godly. Uh, it doesn't work. And so what he's saying is that basically is that you're provoking people by your encouragement, by your love and your support to godliness and holiness. Is that we are to consider other people's spiritual well-being, not just our own, not just look at ourselves individualistically, but we are actually to consider other people within our local church, within our gathering, and consider their spiritual health and well-being as well. And to consider and think about ways, how can we encourage them to to continue to pursue Jesus Christ, to continue to draw near to God? How can we stimulate them? How can we motivate them? How can we help and support them to continue following Jesus Christ and being disciples and making disciples? Because this is the goal of provocation. Godliness. And this is why you need the local church. Is that you need people coming alongside of you stirring you to love and good works, encouraging you, fanning the flame, saying, keep going, keep holding fast the confession, keep drawing near to God, encouraging you, keep pursuing Jesus. Is that you need the local church to stir these things in you. You cannot do it alone. You cannot do it alone. You need others provoking you towards holiness. And so let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you consider your life as a constant process of drawing near to God? Or have you kind of said, that's, that's the old stuff. You know, I did that way back when, when I went up to the front, got baptized. That's when I drew near to God. No, it's every day, are you drawing nearer to God? And you do that through prayer, through personal Bible study. You do that through fellowship. You do that through one-on-one discipleship. And you do that through corporate gathering. Right now, right now, this is an instrument that God is using to help us draw near to God. And we are doing that together. 
together. So do you consider your life as a constant process of drawing near to God? Because he's telling us to draw near to God. And, and the second, I want to I say this point about holding fast to the confession. Is that many of you in here, and I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. But many of you in here, may, you may have wavered in your faith. Maybe you've questioned, maybe you've struggled holding fast. I just want to say this, is that in those moments of weakness and trial and tribulation, do not throw the towel in. Do not throw the towel in. Because the one who has promised us is faithful. Hold fast to the confession. Because Jesus will hold fast to you. And that's why we sing that song, He will hold me fast. Is that when we are faithless, when we give in and throw in the towel, Jesus holds us fast. And what we also learn from this is that, yes, Jesus is faithful. He will hold you. And he, we are commanded to hold fast the confession. But you don't hold it alone. You don't have to struggle alone. You know what that, you know, you know who says for you to struggle alone? Pride and Satan want you to. Because they know you will fail. This morning, if you are struggling holding fast to the confession, don't struggle alone. Because you don't have to. That's why the church is here. Hold fast. And, and the way that we hold fast to the confession is that we sing it together. This is why we sing the songs that we do. This is why we pray the prayers that we do. This is why we get together on Sunday morning. This is why we have equipping classes. This is why we have Sunday morning Bible study. This is why we study the Bible together. This is why we sing it together. This is why we read it together. This is why we eat the bread and drink the cup together. It's that we are constantly holding fast the confession. All these things are to help us hold fast. And as we consider how we stir up one another to love and good works, let me just ask you this question to evaluate yourself. Is are you using your time, your energy, maybe even your tongue to provoke holiness and godliness in others? Are you using your time, your energy, your tongue, your resources to provoke godliness and holiness in others? Or would you say, that your, your presence in other people's lives actually provokes them to ungodliness. What others say, when I'm in their presence, I'm not pointed towards Jesus. I'm not po pointed towards holiness. I am actually pointed towards ungodliness. We need to consider that about our own lives. Is are we doing everything we can to stir love and good works in one another in this congregation? Because this is what we are to do is what we have together provokes in us something that we do together, and that is draw near to God. That is stir up love and good works in one, one another, and that is to hold fast confession. And so we can't draw near to God together. We can't hold fast the confession together. We can't stir up love and good works in one another if we are not together. We need to be together. This is point number three. When we gather together, our gathering is vital to our discipleship. You know, there's a lot of difference between a text message and a handwritten note, right? You would say there's a difference, right? Somebody sends you a text message, oh, thanks for thinking of me. Somebody takes the time to sit down and write a handwritten note to you, that says something different, right? There's, there's more an intimate feel to that, right? That's the difference in a FaceTime and actually face-to-face -face conversation, right? There's something there in that physical, tangible presence of somebody. It wouldn't work if, you know, one day, you know, your spouse said, Hey, honey, you know what? This FaceTime and Zoom and Skype stuff works really well. Why don't we just continue our marriage just talking like that? Well, we don't have to be in those husbands. Y'all better be real careful. Don't, don't y'all better not be nodding your heads or anything like that. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea, Wes said. Maybe we shouldn't talk to one another in person. Hmm. You miss something, right? In that virtual screen. There's not a partnership. There's not an uh, intimacy. There's not an affection there. Something is missing when we just FaceTime people, when we see people through the video screens, right? 
We need to be physically together. There's something about that. And this, too, is the argument of the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, particularly in verse 25, is that the physical togetherness, tangibility, closeness, partnership cannot be disposed of, replaced, or neglected when it comes to God's people gathering. Our physical togetherness is essential to our pursuit of following Jesus. So how do we draw near? How do we hold fast confession of faith? How do we stir one another to loving good works? Well, author of Hebrews says, you gotta be together. You gotta be together. One way of doing this is being together. So here's what he says in verse 25. Do not neglect or do not abandon to meet together, as is the habit of some. So the author of Hebrews is aware that there are some within this community of believers who have forsaken, who have abandoned or neglected the gathering, the, the, the regular gathering of God's people to worship and to pray. He knows, he knows there are some of those. And there's lots of different reasons why people may neglect or abandon or forsake gathering with God's people. May, you know, in particular, in, in, in the author of Hebrews' mind, it may be persecution, maybe fear of some form. But also it could be apathy. It could be disinterest, it could be indifference, or it could just be inconvenience. That could certainly be all those. But the regular gathering of God's people is not trivial, and it should not be discarded. It is essential to our discipleship. And this word for neglect or abandon is actually used over in chapter 13, verse 5, a, a verse that you are all probably very aware of. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor, what's the word? Forsake you. Same word. For me, that brings to my mind is this, man, this is, this is God's enduring relationship with us. That's what it's speaking to. Jesus never forsakes us, but we are so quick to forsake him in the gathering of God's people, when things get hard or things become inconvenient. So easy. Joel Kurtz said it really well. Forsaken is a strong word in the New Testament. It implies willfully neglecting and abandoning something or someone, often for something else. So when, when these people and when, when we forsake or abandon, neglect, meeting together with God's people. We often don't do it just out of neutrality. We often do it because we think we have something better to do. We often think, oh, I can, yeah, I can get a start on this over here. Oh, I can, I can you know, finish up this project over here. You know what? It's okay. You know, I, I can skip that church. It's it, it, no big deal. But the author of Hebrews says it's a very big deal. It's a very big deal. And so he wants us to meet together, to be physically together with one another. Because we need encouraging, but encouraging one another. But all the more as you see the day drawing near. The theme of perseverance is huge in the book of Hebrews because the, the, the audience is going through trial and tribulation. So perseverance is a big, big deal. And the reason he says that you need to meet together is because you need encouragement in these times. Because you will, be, you will be tempted to throw in the towel. And so you need to gather with people who have the same, same experience, the same possession, Christ Jesus and confidence to enter. You need to meet with them so that they can encourage you in this faith journey. Because you cannot do it alone. That God uses this gathering of believers like we do on Sunday mornings as an instrument to help us persevere through tough times and trials. It's an instrument. This is where we find encouragement. This is where we find love. This is where we find support. This is where we find our endurance to continue fighting the good fight of faith. The gathering of believers is essential to our perseverance, and it's indispensable from our discipleship. Indispensable. And so, what are we doing here on Sunday mornings? You might be like, Wes, you're the associate pastor. You should know that, right? Why are you asking this question? What, do, what are we doing here on Sunday mornings? What's the point? Why is it important? One author says it like this. When we gather together on Sunday morning, here's the point. 
It is where we as believers show what we are, learn what we are, become what we are, rejoice and give praise to God for what we are. This is why we get together. This is why we gather regularly. Because we need to be reminded of who we are in Jesus Christ. We need to be able to show who we are to the world and to praise God. And so he's, he's saying, look, do not neglect meeting and gathering with God's people regularly because you need encouragement in this life. And this is the place where you are going to learn to grow in following and obeying Jesus. Discipleship. Now here's some responses that I may get from this. Here's some responses. I already went ahead. I'm already going ahead and get these out of the way so I can get the emails. Wes, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. You don't. You, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. Going to church does not make you a Christian. I will, I will submit to that. I will submit to that. But the Bible seems to make the point that a mark of true faith and repentance is gathering with God's people who have also been saved through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. That seems to be a mark of somebody, is that if somebody have truly experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, they want to be with God's people. They want to be with God's people. And so membership and gathering with the church, the local church, are it's interconnected. Gathering together on Sunday mornings doesn't create faith. It exhibits faith. Gathering on Sunday mornings doesn't create faith. It exhibits the faith that we already have. Jonathan Lehman says it really well. <laughs> you can't be a church member without gathering. You can't be on the basketball team if you never show up to the games. Right? It exhibits what we already possess in Christ Jesus. It exhibits that. And so this is the pattern in the book of Acts, is that people in Acts chapter 2, is that they're baptized, they, they, they're brought into the church, and then a couple verses down in verse 42, they begin together going to the synagogue and worshiping and breaking bread together. So one of the results of them being baptized and brought into the faith, into the community of believers, is that they go and they worship together. That seems to be a pattern. So no, you don't, you don't have to. It doesn't make you a Christian, but it does exhibit true faith to gather with God's people. Another response may be this. I don't have to actually go be with the church. I can just do blank. I don't actually have to go there. I can just do blank. Let me say this. There are no substitutions for the physical gathering of the body of believers. There's not enough online sermons, there's not enough Christian radio, there's not enough books, there's not enough podcasts that you can listen to to substitute the physical gathering of the, the body of believers. There's not enough. There's not enough. These are all great things. Seminary, Christian radio, books, podcasts, online sermons. They're great things, but they're instruments for Christian growth, and they're supplements to the physical gathering. They are not substitutes. I want to be just real clear with what I'm about to say. And so I, if you've tuned me out this whole time, if you, if you can tune me in that I'm not misheard on what I'm about to say. For some during this pandemic season, I think it is so wise and so good. And I'm speaking to the online, online people as well. So wise, so good, and so necessary that you stay home safely and connect with the worship gathering via our live streams. I think there are many who are... Uh, compromised, who are in particular job settings or family settings where it is wise and good for them to stay home. And I thank God for the technology that we have that allows that. But I'm also fearful that many people, other than those that I just named, use live stream as a crutch and an instrument to excuse the physical gathering of the body believers. And the excuse is this. It's okay, I'll just watch online. It's the same thing. Body, let me just say this very clearly. It is not the same thing. It's not the same thing. It's not. Many of our people who watch online desperately want to be here. I mean, I think of, I think of Linda Van, and I, I think of the Dunaways, and I, I think of 
Charlotte and Steve Stevens. There's many other many others I could name. I was talking with Charlotte Stevens this week, and we were we were talk, discussing this. You know how they stay home and watch it. And she says it's just not the same. And she started listing off the things that you just don't get. She said it's the nuances that you you don't get when you're not there. She says the voice is singing together the same song. You don't get that on live stream. Taking the bread and the cup together, you don't get that on live stream. Hearing the pages of the Bible turn, you don't get that. You think you take we take that for granted. But to hear God's people open up God's word and hear the pages flip, that's beautiful noise. Placing your ties in the basket together. You don't get that on live stream. You click a button. And singing the doxology together. Hand in hand. You don't get that on live stream. It's not the same thing. The nuances are missing. They can't be replaced. And so the author of Hebrews is very clear on this point. It's not the same thing. And so when ability and wisdom permit, the physical gathering of the body of believers is necessary to our growth and discipleship. It can't be replaced, it can't be substituted, it can't be exchanged for a podcast or a book or a sermon or a radio station or a video screen. Jesus didn't come to us virtually. He came to us in the flesh. Therefore, we should be in the flesh together. We should be in the flesh together. And so this is not an attempt to guilt anybody. It's not an attempt to guilt anybody online saying you need to be at every single event, every single function, every single activity that happens at the church. Uh, my, my intent is not to guilt anybody. I'm trying to help us see the beauty and the value of us being physically together, gathering together as God's people to worship and sing. Because the foundation of our connection to one another is the weekly gathering for worship around the word of God. That's where it begins, but that is not where it ends. It, you, you can go so much farther than that. But that is where it begins. When we come together, we sit together, we pray together, we hear God's word together, we take the bread and the cup together. This is what we need for our own discipleship to help us follow and obey Jesus. Because the local church, when we, when we gather together, I think of it like this, and you can write this down on your paper. The local church, when it gathers, is, is a, it's a lunchroom and a launch pad. Sounds really weird. The local church, when we gather, we're a lunchroom and a launch pad. Everybody knows, what do you do in a lunchroom? Good. Just want to make sure everybody was on the same page with me. The lunchroom, you, you know, you go to class all day, and then you go to lunchroom, you eat. You take in all your food, you drink your juice bottles, and you, 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 you eat all the things that mom packed for you in your lunch. You get your nutrients, you get your everything that you need to continue on with your classes. The local church is like a lunchroom is that we come together on Sunday mornings and we hear God's word. We pray together. We fellowship together. We, we sing together. We get the nutrients that we need to continue on in this fight of faith throughout the week. It's like a lunchroom. That the local church, together, we encourage one another. We stir one another love and good works. We get the nutrients that we need to continue. To continue to persevere in this fight of faith. But it's not only a lunchroom, it's a launch pad. And then we just send people out into the world like a rocket. Send them out to make disciples. Here is where we are discipled, where we are taught and learn how to follow and obey Jesus. And then the local church is a launch pad, and we send people to make disciples, to help others follow and obey Jesus. It's a lunchroom and a launch pad. The local church supplies and it sends people. It supplies and it sends people. This is what they did in Acts chapter 13. And so, to end, let me, let me just say this. Why is it important that we gather together to hold fast the confession, to draw near to God? Why is it important that we gather together to stir one another up for love and good works? Why is it, why is it good that we gather together to reminisce on the shared possession that we have in Christ Jesus? Is this the day is drawing near? That's what he ends on, verse 25. 
and go, why do we do all these things? Why do we gather together on Sunday mornings? Why do we do stir up one another loving good works? Is the day is drawing near where Christ will return and he will judge the living and the dead. Is that we are helping prepare one another for judgment day. We are helping to provoke godliness and holiness and spiritual fruit in one another that will be accounted for on judgment day. We are preparing one another saying, Christ will return. Let us live holy now. Be holy as I am holy. And so, this morning, the local church and our gathering is a gift and an instrument to us to prepare us for Christ's return. And this morning, if you are not in Christ Jesus, then you, will, you, you are not going to be able to enter into God's presence confidently and boldly. You will enter into his presence in fear and terror of his holiness. You do not have that confidence. But this morning, Hebrews 10, 19-25 invites you. You can have confidence and boldness to enter into God's presence this morning. That you don't have to have fear. You don't have to have dread of God's holiness. That you can actually enter boldly into His presence through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because He has shed His blood for you. Cleansing of all your, you of all your sins. Giving you a new heart and new spirit to follow Him. This morning, you can have that boldness. If you are not in Christ Jesus, I'd love to speak with you this morning after our service to talk with you about, hey, I want the confidence. I want that boldness. I want to be able to enter God's presence, His throne of grace. This morning, you can have that by repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus Christ. His body was broken and blood was shed to make a new and living way for us to enter and access God's presence. Let me pray for us. We love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would see our God that we have together in Christ Jesus is so much sweeter and so much greater than what may divide us. And Lord, I pray that you would use the local church, even here at Cross Point, to benefit, to encourage, to stimulate love and growth in each one of us, God as we gather together regularly around your word. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This morning as I ask the band to come back on stage, I want you to consider this. Where, where